My name is Peter. I'm a, I'm a member here. We're going to be taking a little bit of a break from our, our study on Ecclesiastes. So if you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. And with everything that Pastor Mike just said, it is very kind of Jesus to speak to us this morning about the troubles and the worries of life. We need to hear that all the time. With everything going on in Houston, with everything going on in our lives, what I want to do is to echo Pastor Mike, because my heart is in the same place. I want to pray for Houston. I want to pray for us. And I pray that we would hear the words of Jesus. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are stronger than all of our problems, Lord God. You are the mighty one. You are the almighty God. We do not understand, but you do, Lord God. We need to trust in you more, Lord. Father, I ask that our hearts and the hearts of all those in Houston that they would be able to find rest in Jesus Christ. That you would meet them in dark hours, Lord God. That you would meet them with your strength, with your peace, and with your grace, Lord God. That you would be with them in all of their trials and difficulties, Lord God. That you would help them when there doesn't seem like there is any way, Lord God. That you would bring help from the far places, bring help from the close places, Lord God, and let their gazes and their hearts be fixed on Jesus. I pray that you would bring many to Christ, Lord God, that they would come to believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Okay. When we come to every problem in our lives, when we face difficulties, we should come in a unique way. Has the gospel, has the work of Christ set you apart? Do you think differently? Does Jesus Christ now in heaven mediating his power to us by his resurrection, cause us to think of our situations differently. Jesus did not die for us so that we would feel common. He did not die for us to make us think like unbelievers. Jesus has come to cause us to feel his presence. He is active in our lives. We dishonor Jesus. We make Jesus look bad if we think just like an unbeliever. Jesus has not gone through all he has gone through so that we would just be thinking just like an unbeliever. He has done so much for us. And our situation is not only different, but the answer for us is always different. Jesus Christ is our unique answer. He is different 
than every other answer. Every other answer, even if you look at it and it looks good, the closer you get to it, the more you rely upon it, the less satisfying it becomes. With Jesus, the closer you get to him, the more you rely upon him, the sweeter he becomes. The more enjoyable he becomes. The deeper we go with Jesus, the more his answers touch reality. They get to the, the bedrock of the way the world actually is. So we are completely different because we have Jesus. Our passage in verse 25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? First, recognize Jesus wants to be the answer. He says, I tell you. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. He is confronting us with his own authority. He comes to our lives with power. If a stranger comes up to us and says, don't be anxious, it lacks weight because they don't know us. They don't have the power to back it up. But Jesus confronts us with an argument from his own authority because he does have the power. He does know us. He can indeed back it up. He wants us to hear him able to stand on water. Jesus confronts us with his own divine power his own divine life, and he wants that to be an argument for peace. We are in a different situation. When Jesus speaks to us, he speaks to us always with a, therefore I tell you. He can only speak with authority. Jesus cannot speak without authority. Notice, the beginning of our passage starts with the therefore. That means he is pulling from a previous context. Verse 24 had just said, you cannot serve God and money. So he is continuing in that same thought. Meaning, if you're serving God, therefore you have one heart, undivided for one master. Then... Don't be anxious about your life. But what Jesus is saying here is the opposite of what we would normally think. What he is saying is different than what we say to ourselves. He's saying, if you have one heart for God, don't worry. Therefore, serving God, don't be anxious. But that's just the opposite normally. If we serve someone else, Who's going to take care of us? If I'm utterly devoted to God, what about my needs? But Jesus does it the very opposite. He says, if you serve God, then don't worry. Love Jesus. <laughs> he is 
getting at our hearts like always. He is saying, if you live a life sacrificed to glory, to the glory of God, if you are striving in holiness, living the humble, the faithful, the servile life for God, then don't be anxious. But you know what? My heart and probably some of your hearts are very slow to believe Jesus. So he is going in our passage to unpack nine reasons why we don't need to be anxious. One thing I want you to recognize, the audience that he is speaking to are the children. Verse 26 of our passage, verse 32 of our passage, explicitly says, your heavenly father. Verse 32 even distinguishes unbelieving Gentiles from those who are the children. So we need to recognize Jesus is talking this morning to his children. If you are not one of his children, you can be. If you put your faith in Christ and ask him to forgive you of your sins, you will have all of the privileges that Jesus is going to unfold. So let's start into the passage. Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life. Ask yourself, just talk to yourself. Like Pastor Mike says, we talk to ourselves a lot. Ask yourself, when you hear him saying, don't be anxious about your life, how are you defining your life? How do you hear that? What does that mean to you when Jesus says, don't be worried about your life? Is that a job, money, kids, entertainment, social media, a spouse, a future spouse? So this passage, this first verse causes me to ask two questions. First question, why does Jesus want us to reflect on our life? Second question, why does our view of life matter to our anxiety? Let's go one at a time. Why does Jesus want us to reflect on our life? Jesus himself in this verse, ties our view of life with our anxiety. Look at the end of the passage. So he's addressing the audience that says, I'm worried about food. I'm worried about clothing. And Jesus says, is not life more than food and clothing? And for those of us, myself included, however we define our life, whether it's money, entertainment, music, wouldn't Jesus also say to us, is not life more? What a very fascinating thing, thing that Jesus is doing. Jesus thinks if we are worried about anxiety, we should hear him say to us, but is not life more? Jesus is the God who calls our lives more. Why? Why does our view of life impact our anxiety? Because this life, this earth is not enough. We come to church every Sunday because we believe life is more. We believe there is more to life 
That is what makes the gospel so incredible. It is God's testimony that life is indeed more. God says life is more. In a world of loneliness, we belong to God. And it's not so much that we look at ourselves and start thinking more of ourselves. It's more that we look beyond ourselves and we start looking at awesome, divine, infinite things. And we don't stay at the bottom of the mountain anymore, anxious about food and clothing, anxious about life. We go into the mountain. We speak with Jesus, holy Jesus, face to face, and his divine Inexplicable light explains to our souls that life is more. Life is more. And this is an experience, not just an understanding. There is a mysterious experience that happens in Christianity where our hearts feel that life is more. We know something that is unknown. A true, genuine Christian to an unbeliever will always be some kind of mystery. There's just always something they can't understand about the Christian. Because the most important parts of our life is the part they cannot understand. They, they have not yet become the pure in heart who see God. We Christians hear a song that no one else can hear. We hear a Savior, Jesus, talking to us. And so he does not want us to stay at the mere level, the basic level of food and clothing. He wants us to hear him saying, is not life more? This is what he wants us to be thinking about. This is the argument. The first argument that Jesus unveils is, consider, is not your life more? You are safe in Jesus Christ because the enemies can no longer reach Jesus Christ. He does so much. And Jesus wants us to be looking at the right things. This is very practical. If he takes care of the most important things, he's going to help us. We can trust him for the lesser things, food, clothing. If he doesn't want us to worry about the things that we need, then he definitely doesn't want us worrying about the luxuries, the accessories, the non-essentials of life. If he says, don't worry about the basic things, then how much more is he saying, don't worry about the extra things? Verse 26 says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus is surrounded by the poor. He is surrounded by people who have these needs. So he uses the birds. <laughs> he uses the birds as non-warriors. The birds work hard. So at the same time, they can't store up anything that they have. They go out, they find, they go back home, and then the next day, they have to do it all over again. There's no worms that just drop into their beaks. They have to go out and find, 
food. And God takes the credit for feeding them. And he uses birds as an example to us to work hard. But we're in a better situation. We can plan. We can prepare. We can store up for our families. But yet, at the same time, the birds, they can sing so sweetly in the trees. And they don't even know where to pick up their next crumb. Yet, we are in such a better situation. We have God's word and we don't sing. Then he says, are you not of more value than they? What a wonderful and interesting thing to say. <laughs> so let, let's think about this phrase for a second. Are you not of more value than they? Is he saying that how much you are cared for will relate to your value? Is he saying how much you are cared for will relate to your value? So he's definitely not denying that birds are valuable. But he says since the birds are valuable, God's going to take care of them. But then he says you're of more value, so you can trust him to take care of you. This is a very straightforward argument. So he says our anxieties are somehow relieved if we consider the value that God places on our lives. Almost as though he wants to say, the more valuable you are, the more he will care for you. But we need to be careful. Jesus is not saying nothing bad's going to happen in life. Jesus is not saying that everything is going to be prosperous. Verse 25 had just said, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So he's not primarily talking about our physical life. He's primarily talking about our spiritual life. Jesus is unpacking a spiritual principle. The more valuable you are to God, the less anxious you need to be. Does Jesus not want us to think about this? When he says, are you not of more valuable, is this just like a throwaway phrase? I think it's the opposite. I think the force of the argument is in considering how valuable you are. Jesus wants us to think about how valuable we are to God as a remedy to anxiety. So the question then we can ask is, how valuable are we to God? This passage, as I said before, is talking about the children, not general creation. So Jesus wants us to consider all that he has done, all the gifts that he has done for us. And so he wants the great demonstration of Christ's value to be found in every child. So that we have the best righteousness because we have Christ's righteousness. And being found with such good righteousness, we find that we have the best value because of Christ. There is no better foundation than Jesus Christ. He has made us more righteous than innocent Adam in the garden, more righteous than the angels because he has given us the righteousness of God. 
And so he doesn't just say to us that we are valuable. He actually dies and makes us unworthy sinners valuable. And so he is in heaven mediating that value by his indestructible life. Jesus kept all of the hardest commandments to lavish on us a value that calms the heart. Jesus kept every one of them and he wants us to feel that and feel the value that he has imparted to us and let that calm our hearts. So he gives us the greatest peace. He gives us true and real peace. And the more certain we become of this, the more peace is established in our hearts. And the peace that Jesus gives us is not based in ignorance. Jesus gives us peace by opening our eyes wider to see things as they really are. Now, there's an objection to what Jesus has said here. Someone's going to say to me, or could say, but Peter, God says he's going to feed all the birds. Trust him. But birds sometimes die. And I know sometimes human beings who are even more valuable than the birds can die of starvation. Not only that, in Romans 8.35, it says that the children can experience famine and nakedness. So how can Jesus make the statement that we can trust him for provision when sometimes these bad things do happen? I have two responses to this. First, I believe that this objection really gets at the quality of faith that Jesus wants us to have. Jesus is saying that you can trust him, but that doesn't mean that nothing bad's going to happen. It means you can trust him even though you know bad could happen. Jesus is not saying trust in God, you are more valuable than the birds, and it won't ever happen. Jesus is saying you can trust in God even though bad could happen. This is exactly why we need faith. If something bad possibly happening stops you and causes you to melt down, that is not living by biblical faith. True biblical faith says even though there's a possibility that bad can happen, that is exactly why we need faith. The possibility of trouble is exactly what makes faith so wonderful. The glory of being a Christian is that we can always have faith in Jesus Christ. He has made a path for victory. Scientists say that there are about 200 billion birds on the planet. And about, I read somewhere about 100,000 of them die. But So he is saying, the 200 billion birds that God feeds in his goodness should function as an encouragement to all of us 
that we can trust him, that he is dependable, even though 100,000 birds might die. Now, I know someone who I love is going to say to me, but Peter, what if I'm part of the 100,000? What if I'm one of the very, 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 very few that are the 100,000 birds? What if I'm one of those little ones? <laughs> well, first, hear Jesus saying, trust God in his goodness. And if you are part of the 100,000 that have faith and yet are running out of resources, you have the most precious gift. You have the thing that God loves. You have faith. You have reward in heaven. Jesus says all the time, what great faith you have. So all your treasures in heaven and you're going to go there. So we never need to worry. No matter what happens, no circumstance will ever come to pass where we believe God is failing us. He will always prove dependable. Now, my second response to the objection, I, I think that this objection actually helps us to get to the main point that Jesus is making. So Luke 12, 15 says that life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. So our life ultimately, ultimate life, is not about what we have or what we do not have. The things that are ultimate in our lives are more. This is why Jesus starts the whole passage off with, is not life more? Jesus is bringing us high. <laughs> this is exactly what frees our hearts not to worry. The greatest things in our lives now are unchangeable. They cannot be taken away from us. Our value can no longer change. So Jesus wants us to define God's ultimate care for us in a life that is more, a life that is truly valuable because of Jesus Christ. Verse 27 says, and which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Now, <clears throat> Jesus comes at anxiety from a totally different angle here. Totally different way. Jesus knowing that some people are helped most by just practical, common sense wisdom. Jesus is getting at this idea in this passage that some people actually think that their anxiety helps them. They think that their anxiety is a benefit to them. And in the end, he says, your anxiety can't even add one tiny little hour to their lives. So some people, as crazy as this sounds, actually keep and want their anxiety because it serves them well. Their anxiety actually helps them in their life. It gets them the sympathy that they want from other people. It lets them just lay in their bed 
all day long. And they don't have to go out and deal with life. It gets them all that attention. They just love the attention. If I get rid of my anxiety, then no one's really going to pay as much attention to me anymore. And it lets them be very, just, you can be, be irresponsible now. A Christian can even deceive themselves. And they start thinking, well, I could just go shop, eat, do whatever I want. I can really live however I want because, you know, I suffer from anxiety. They have this false badge of humility as though, well, I have a problem with anxiety, so I can get away with anything that I want. It becomes a license to do whatever they want in their lives. Now, there is a genuine struggle for some, but some people just use it to to just get away with it, guys. They actually start thinking that their anxiety helps them with God. They think their relationship with God is better because they're anxious. But Jesus wants us to hear him saying in this passage, anxiety cannot add to our lives. The Son of God says, stop being anxious. It doesn't add to your life. Christ adds to your life. Verse 28, he says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus is giving us another brilliant practical argument. Jesus is going to say, Jesus thinks that flowers can help our anxiety. So he's going to use flowers as an argument against anxiety. Okay. What's the argument here? I don't think he's using the same argument as before that you're more valuable than the flowers and the grass. When he says they don't toil, they don't spin, I think he's getting at what flowers are like. What is the nature of a flower? It hinges on that flower. Flowers are not anxious. Flowers don't worry. Flowers don't work. They're not concerned. They don't do anything. But yet, God clothes them. God takes care of them. Flowers can't be anxious, and they are taken care of. Therefore, our life and our clothing does not depend on our anxieties. If the requirement to be taken care of was anxiety and worry, then the flowers would not be taken care of. It's a brilliant argument by Jesus. He proves with flowers that your anxiety and concern are not in the end what is taking care of you. He has made promises to faith, not to anxiety. And then he says, Consider Solomon in all of his glory was, arrayed, was not arrayed like one of these flowers. So that assumes that we're actually able to appreciate the beauty of a flower. Some of us, we just need to go outside and look at a flower. <laughs> we just need to go outside and enjoy the creation that God gave us. And in seeing how much beauty that God puts it in a flower, we'll feel how much care he puts into us. 
If God is going to put that much concern into a flower, and it says in verse 30, that's alive today and tomorrow thrown in the oven, how much more is he going to clothe and care for us? Now, these kind of questions I love. I have a question, why? Why does God care about the flowers? Why does God care about flowers and grass? And what I love about that is it, it gets us to a place that we should be going all the time. There is, the, this is going to be a profoundly simple answer. Why does God care for the flowers and the grass? Because he's God. <laughs> he is the kind of God who cares. An unbelievable thing. Why does he care? Because he cares. He's a God that actually cares. So he takes care of flowers and grass that's going to be here today and gone tomorrow. God doesn't have these ulterior motives when he takes care of us, guys. He's not using us for something else. He says we're the reward when he's kind to us and he's generous to us. When he cares for us, he wants us. He's God. He's awesome. Do you see him as the kind of God that just wants you? He wants you. He wants you in his presence. He wants you with him. This is not lessening, lessening God. This glorifies God more. In the end, why does he want us? Because he wants us. It's the glory of him caring. The glory of God himself who actually cares. Then he goes on and says, Oh, you of little faith. So in light of how much he cares, we should have faith. Worry is the result of not believing in God's genuine goodness and mercy. To worry is to be anxious and to not have faith. Now, one thing that's really, really interesting about this passage is that the faith that he's talking about is very specific. It's not just general peanut butter faith. It is specific faith. So Jesus could have just said, don't be anxious, have faith, and then chapter 7. He doesn't do that. He says, have faith, trust God for not being anxious, and then believe all these things. Believe very, very specific things. This is an, a really helpful to me because that means when I'm fighting sin, when I'm living my life, God wants me to live believing specific things. Faith is the leading grace. Faith directs our hearts, but just not general faith. Faith is powerful when it's specific. Galatians, for example, Galatians 2.20 teaching us how important faith is. It says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Or Hebrews eleven six, by faith Abraham obeyed. Faith is how we obey. We cry out to God for faith. If your faith is weak, ask him for more faith. Do whatever it takes to get more faith. It is one of the most important graces of our lives. 
And so Jesus does not want us to be thinking, don't just have faith in faith. Never have faith in just general, empty faith, contentless faith. Faith functioning victoriously in this passage believes very specific things that Jesus is for you. Faith is wanting to look at particulars. Dive deep, find things that are for you. What blesses me is not always what blesses you. What helps you probably doesn't help me. You are a very specific person, needing very specific ways to be encouraged, having very specific activities and events in your life. You need a very specific faith for you. Find what God has done in your life and what he has said in his Bible that is specifically resonating with you. And so it is by faith we obey. I see that as this passage can go the whole Bible. This is like an outline. So faith helps me in everything. When I need to defeat anger, when I need to be more gentle, when I need to be more holy. So we look for specific things and find a lot of things, guys. Don't look for one. The passage has nine things. Find nine things in the areas that you struggle in. Jesus is helping us. He says, well, I'm going to use anxiety as an example, but I'm going to use a lot of things that you need to believe. So if you struggle with a particular sin, find a lot of things and then believe them. Okay, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So the passage says that unbelievers or Gentiles are chasing or seeking after things that are on the earth, but they lack a heavenly Father who knows they have need of these things. So an unbeliever is in the unfortunate position. They only have one place for treasure on earth. And if we looked back at verse 19 in the same chapter, Jesus says, moth and rust destroy it, thieves break in and steal it. Unbelievers are rightly anxious because Jesus says the things that they're chasing after are not secure. The things that they want and are worried about losing actually are going to be lost. An unbeliever is part of the wrong family. They're just out of place in a world where God is God. They lack that father who's overseeing them in all their business and all their concerns. If that is you this morning, repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And everything that is being spoken of and all that Jesus is will be yours. He will adopt you instantly. And your problems now become part of his problems. After we, again, he's talking to his children primarily. After we have repented and believed in Jesus Christ, we don't start looking more worthy. We don't glow or anything. We don't deserve anything that gives us the greater value. What we see is mercy given to us. We are saddened 
by unbelievers because they are not in the happy situation that we are in. We grieve and pray and preach and teach and love unbelievers because they're not in the good condition that we are in as God's children. God loves us, not because he needs us. God loves us because we need him. Verse 33 says, We seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added on. Now, I don't think Jesus is just inserting the kingdom and changing topics. He's talking about worry, care, anxiety. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount, the whole sermon is about the kingdom in so many ways. So I still believe that Jesus is still now addressing the kingdom as it relates to anxiety. All that he has said up to now, I believe, is related to that kingdom. So an unbeliever chasing the things of earth, the believer chases the kingdom of heaven. One of the, the blessings that I think is even in this context, if you look at verse 20, of, of being part of God's kingdom. Verse 20 says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. We lay up our lives and our treasures in the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 21 has said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Now the treasure of our heart, our heart is exactly what we've been talking about this entire morning. Our hearts is the seat. It's the the source of our anxieties. But Jesus says, if I put my treasure in the kingdom, that's where moth and rust can't destroy it. If I lay up my hearts in the kingdom of heaven, then my heart can no longer be touched. I believe that is part of the way that God is protecting our hearts by bringing up the kingdom in this passage. He wants us to hear him bring in the kingdom because he had just spoken about the kingdom of heaven and being able to put our hearts there and protect our hearts. He wants our hearts to be as safe as our treasures. He wants our hearts to be untouchable because our ultimate life is in the kingdom. And what is it about that kingdom that makes it so awesome? A kingdom is going to be as good as its king. The kingdom will bear resemblance to the king. It will be as loving as the king is. It will be as caring as the king is. It will have the humility of a king. He's not telling us to seek the kingdom for his needs. He is telling us to seek the kingdom for our needs. He's the one that supplies. We are the receivers and so there are no other kings more great than King Jesus. None more powerful, more beautiful, more safe, more accessible. There is no other king that cares more than King Jesus. And so if he does not let us have the kingdom, he is keeping us from what we need the most. He is holding back our greatest fulfillments in life if we are not allowed to have that kingdom. So he gives it to us and calls us to go after it. 
And it is only that kind of kingdom that will help our anxieties. It is that kind of kingdom where we can seek him, serve him, give him glory, and receive all the comforts that come from it. And so we pray, we seek more of that kingdom on earth, more justice, more love, more of the king on the earth, more of his kindness, more of his grace. And so I even believe, brothers and sisters, this is for Cab. This is for us this morning, Lord God, that we would be a people who care for one another, who love one another. If we are seeking the kingdom first, we will be a different kind of place, a people who shares with one another. He even says, and all these other things will be added on because if we are seeking these things, we will be caring for one another's needs. If one has extra, we share with the one in need. I want us to be a place of belonging, a place where people actually care. That is why this is just another way that God cares for us. God has given cab to us. He has planted our church for us, for our peace, for our help, for our love, for our care. We exist for one another. You are seated here seeking the kingdom. You are seated next to your family. We are family caring for one another. And so today, every Sunday, there are always people out at the back wall that want to pray for you, that want to listen to you. There are people here who care about one another, that want to listen to the needs of one another. There will always be people here. This is a place where Jesus Christ is awesome. He does great things here. There are people that care about you. They care about your needs. Faithful saints share with faithful saints. So Christ has given us a way that we can rejoice in him even in the physical, in the church. As we come to a close, let's look at the last verse. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus wants us to hear him saying, the anxieties of your life, leave them for tomorrow. Don't bring the troubles of two days into one day. Let the troubles of tomorrow stay in tomorrow. And do that every day. Every day, let the troubles of tomorrow be pushed back another day. And let Jesus keep pushing them back one more day, one more day, until Jesus is your tomorrow. And then when he says, sufficient is the day, for its own trouble. God has apportioned prosperity and troubles in our lives. I almost think of an analogy. Imagine that God has a pile of rocks for us to carry, of trouble every day. And he has appointed a rock for the day. Sometimes they're big rocks. Sometimes they're itty bitty rocks. But he says, don't try and carry both those rocks on the same day. Otherwise, what God wants to do in your life won't have its proper effect. He has appointed a specific rock for each of our days. So we don't know what tomorrow brings, but we know the one who brings tomorrow. 
That is God our Father. Break up your life into small portions, but put Christ Jesus first. Allow his kingdom to be a medicine for your soul. We don't need a little God who gives us toys and trinkets and methods. He has given us a kingdom superior to our worrying hearts. One thing about this passage that I love, this is just Peter for a second, why I love this passage and I gravitate to this passage, I see this passage having nine reasons to rejoice in Jesus. Nine reasons, nine specific things and ways to battle sin. I see this as a battle plan or an outline for all of life. Gather as many reasons as possible to strive for holiness in Jesus Christ, to fight sin, to pursue your comfort in the Lord Jesus Christ. Write them down. Put them in your phone. Keep them in a place so that on on Tuesday at 2 o'clock, when you are drowning, you can just pull them out and rejoice and say, yes, I still have you, Jesus, because you forgot from you. You, didn't, you can't remember anything by 2 o'clock. <laughs> so, in closing, God himself is never anxious for us. doesn't mean that we're not in danger. It's because God has taken care of all the most important things already. The greatest dangers in our lives have already been overcome by Jesus Christ. He has accomplished all the necessary work so that now we live as a consequence of what he has already done. So he does never need to fear for us. So Jesus says, is not your life more? Let his work set you apart. He has kept all those hard commands to lavish us with that value that can calm our hearts. His kingdom is superior. Do not be anxious. Christ is our lives. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, those last 40 minutes went by very fast. Praise you, God. Lord, I wish that we could just praise you more and more and more, Lord, that we could think about you more, how we long for heaven when we will see you face to face, when more of these realities will be even deeper than they are and can be today, Lord. Father, bless the heart's of your church here, Lord God. We strive to be faithful and serve you, God. We strive to love you, to honor you and serve you, God. Therefore, take care of our needs, Lord God. Let us have the hearts to trust you, Lord God. Thank you so much for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.